Patients Podcast. I am your host and youngest sibling, Katie Culligan. In this podcast, we dive into the who, what, why, and huh of this quirky industry that no one's ever heard of. What's a standardized patient, you may ask? A standardized patient is a fake patient who provides simulation and feedback on physical exams and communication skills for medical students. Awesome. Thank you so much. The voice that you just heard say that lovely description of a standardized patient is Andrew Fleurer. He is our guest today. Andrew is now in his third and final year of his master's program in clinical mental health counseling. After getting bachelor's degrees in theater and chemistry, Andrew worked as an actor in the D.C. area for a number of years. During this time, he started working as a standardized patient at numerous local universities and has now been an SP for almost eight years. Woo! SP experience includes teaching physical exams, teaching genitourinary exams, Gouda, mass casualty and emergency response scenarios, and trauma-informed role plays with social workers. His hobbies include cooking, pole dancing, lifting weights, and playing Nintendo Switch. His Myers-Briggs is ENFJ. Enneagram is 2 wing 3. Welcome, Andrew! Hello! Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so, so grateful. And I really appreciate you being here today. I just have to touch on a couple things. It's really interesting that you were a theater and chemistry major in college. Yeah, you know, uh, I just hopped on the bandwagon. Everyone else was doing it, so I figured I would too. <laughs> yeah, there's all those theater chemistry majors. Did you find that there were some things that that helped them come together while you were double majoring? Um, no, not okay. at all. Um, it was, <laughs> it, you know, it was so funny because I would, you know, spend, you know, four or five hours in a lab doing organic chemistry, and then I would spend four or five hours in a rehearsal. And then it would be late at night and I would have to do all my homework for two majors. And so, no, there really wasn't a lot of overlap and I didn't get a lot of sleep, but I had I had a great time and I don't regret it. Okay, that's fantastic. <laughs> Chemistry is really interesting. I've never been great at it, I'll be honest, but I'm better at that than physics. So <laughs> I'll say that, at least from high school, from my high school experience. But that's really cool. Do you use your chemistry much these days? No, I really don't. What I learned when I was getting that major was that I really loved learning the theoretical aspects of it. But as far as uh, getting a career in it, I realized that's not for me. I think theater is the one. And at that point, there were just a few classes left. So I said, I might as well just wrap up this chemistry thing. Fair enough. Yeah, you may as well finish it out. Good for you. I'm very impressed, especially because I've heard that organic chemistry is a beast. It is, but it's also really fun. It's kind of like really hard puzzles. And eventually you kind of figure them out and they get fun. But I think a lot of people might disagree with me there. Fair 
enough. But hey, I love hearing that perspective. So you've obviously had some great SP experience here doing a lot of different things. Some of the things we've certainly talked about on the podcast before, including teaching and Gouda, the PETA work, SPI work, the mass casualty. That sounds really interesting in emergency response. So, so many things to talk about. But today we're actually going to dive into the topic of what it's like to not play your age and type. So what that means is when you're cast, if you will, as an SP, your case is, let's say, something that is so not you, that is, maybe it's a five-year-old, maybe it's an 87-year-old, maybe it's just a completely different type of person than you are. So for instance, Andrew, I know, is a very nice, friendly, easy-to-talk-to person, so maybe you'd be playing a irate, just angry, rage-filled person that is going to throw things across the room. I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those cases. I would love to see you do it. (laughs) But that might be playing against type versus playing against age range. So tell me a little bit about that in your experience with that, Andrew. Oh, my goodness. So I've played a bunch of different ages. Uh, I know you and I have both played some elderly cases in, I guess, 60s, 70s. Is that right? Yep, yep. Yeah. And so I've done that a few times, but what I actually have a little bit more experience in is is playing young children. When you were reading my bio, you you mentioned the the trauma-informed social worker simulations. And that's not with a particular school, but it's a program I got into by working with some other fellow SPs. And it's a program where social workers learn how to interview children who have experienced some kind of trauma or abuse. And so it can be a little bit heavy at times, but it's also really rewarding. And sometimes it can be a little bit fun to play someone so young. Yeah. What is the youngest you've played? Oh, my goodness. I do a lot of four and five year old. And then I think I have an eight year old. I might have done a 10 or 11 year old once or twice as well. Wow. Yeah, I've actually done a few of those cases. So I I know where you're coming from with those. So how does one get cast, let's say, as a four or five year old, though? Like from your experience, did the people kind of figuring out who to give what to say, you know what, Andrew would make a great four year old? (laughs) I don't know how that came up. Um, I know that when I got in with this program, they tend to give the actors a range of different ages. So it's usually not like you're only playing the four-year-old. It'll be like you're a four-year-old and a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old or or something like that. So I guess <laughs> they, they just kind of trusted me and uh, I hope they didn't regret it. So I'm sure yeah. they did not regret it. <laughs> so how is that when you are playing those young, really young roles? Like, because obviously you're not four anymore. You're not even 12 anymore, perhaps. Um, how does that work for you to kind of get into character and working with these people who are, I think they're testing out. Is that correct? They're being supervised during this encounter. Yes. So in this program, they're in a room with a video feed. And in the next room over, they have their instructor and their, let's say, six to seven peers. 
And so we go in the room, we do the encounter, and then we come out and then we all debrief and talk about it and do feedback. But as far as how do I get into character, I'm 30 years old. So you're right, I am (laughs) older than 12 now. Um, There's two things that I really hang my hat on as far as playing a different age. The first is when I was getting my theater major, we did a lot of Uta Hagen. And so what she always said about it was, if you're playing a different age, don't try to play the age, play the relationships. And so if I'm a little four-year-old and I'm in the room with an adult, maybe I'm a little overwhelmed and intimidated. And maybe if I'm a teenager with an adult, maybe I think, you know, you don't get me and who do you think you are? And if I'm maybe a 70-year-old, I'm maybe also thinking you don't get me, but in a different way. I'm thinking I have all this experience and who are you to tell me what to do? That's really interesting. I think that's a fantastic perspective and can really help people get out of their discomfort, likely, of playing something that's so different from what they are. I can say, you know, we both played young, we both played old, and I'm sure I could probably speak for both of us that we've played things that are closer in age range and maybe just like a little off of our age range, but not too far off. I think at this point in my life, I can pass as an SP. Now, this is not for everything, but as an SP, I could play anything from like in my 20s to in my 40s, pretty without too much of a suspension of disbelief. If I'm playing teens or younger, or if I'm playing 50s or older, that's when we're going to be like, hmm, this person is obviously not this. However, we're just going to have to go with it. And that's when I start to feel like, even as an actor, and when I'm on stage playing old women or... um. <laughs> or young little little girls, or animals for that matter. <laughs> it seems like an easier thing to do in some ways because you're not having this intimate reaction that you are with the encounter with a fellow you know, med student or social worker student where you know, you're playing this four or five-year-old and we are all aware that I am not a four or five-year-old, but I'm trying to give that essence of it. And, and I think that's what it comes back to is what you were saying is that essence, that relationship. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> I have uh, an instructor at the social work program who told us, you know, you're not trying to trick anyone. You're not trying to convince anyone that you're actually for. We all know you're not for. Just bring the essence, like you said, of being for. And so, yeah, I mentioned there were two things that I hang my hat on. The first one is the Uta Hagen, but the second is, you know, now that I'm in my grad program for clinical mental health counseling, I'm thinking a lot about human growth and development. And so, you know, I'm looking at different developmental models and how we are physically, intellectually, socially, emotionally over time, how we grow and mature. And so I'm also thinking about if you want to read about one of those models, the one that I'm thinking about is Eric Erickson's model. And he talks about, you know, if you're four or five, you're really governed by by curiosity. And so if I'm in that room, they say, oh, there's a camera over there recording us. I might run over and say, oh my gosh, where is it? I want to see the camera. Is anybody in there? Hi, hi. Um, or, <laughs> you That's know, awesome. oh, it's great. You know, if they bring a dog by, I run over and pet the dog. If they have, oh, sometimes they bring in toys and I'm just enthralled by the toys. And if I'm six to 12, then it's really about competence. I'm trying trying to prove that I can answer these questions correctly. 
and you should take me seriously. These are broad strokes, of course. You know, every character has uh, given circumstances and their own, you know, emotional journey that they're on, but that's kind of like the backdrop that I have when I think about these characters at different ages. That's really cool. I bet that's super fun to do. I know there's one, and it might be with the same program that you're talking about that I did when I was very young. And I think one of the questions that they often ask or have to ask is, do you know my dog's name? Or or what is it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. They're kind of starting by, you know, because you're playing a young child, so they're trying to teach you the rules of the interview. They want to teach you, you know, don't answer questions that you don't know the answer to. As an example, they ask you, what's my dog's name? And we don't know if they have a dog, so we don't know the answer. So we're supposed to respond, I don't know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I knew it was something. So when I've been the really young ones, I'll just come up with a name. And I have a lot of fun with that because there's always like a little chuckle, like Barky. <laughs> I'm like, actually, no, <laughs> you don't know if I have a dog. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, it is really fun to play around with that. And then I'm just, let's circle back to the older characters. What would you say is the oldest character that you could remember that you've played in a SP encounter? Oh, goodness. I've been doing so many SP things over the years. I'm sure I'm only even remembering like 40% of everything. I I know I did a 65 year old that may be the oldest but i can't speak confidently i don't know sure okay just curious i also was thinking there are some different dynamics about playing different age ranges in the way that of how we're coming at it meaning if we are teaching if we're doing peta work or spi work that type of thing we might play characters that are wildly outside of our age or type because it's a teaching mechanism and these students only have us as a PETA or SPI to to teach them that. So we're going to take that on. Everyone is going to play that role or those roles, no matter what they look like or who they are. Whereas in a different situation, let's say a school is hiring a bunch of actors for an exam and they want to get as close to that type as possible so they're likely, you know, a bunch of people who might do one that I'm doing are going to be similar to my type rather than someone who is, you know, in their 70s. Actually, they're going to be doing likely a very different case for examinations. And the only times I tend to think that those go outside of the box is when absolutely necessary. Like if they just can't find anybody else, they'll say, okay, we're just going to steal this person and it's close as we can get. That's what we need. Yeah, maybe they need 35, uh, 70-year-olds. So they say, okay, maybe 25 of you can be younger than 70. <laughs> right, exactly. And and the truth is sometimes there are cases where it says an age range. It'll be like you can be anywhere from, let's say, 35 to 55 and that fits within how it's written so if you're closer to 35 even if let's say you're 25 you're going to pick 35 probably and if you're let's say 75 you might be picking 55 but they you can pick other things i know people have done that and been like so i'm 25 but i'm going to pick 55 anyway because um, <laughs> why not i mean it's all it's all fine but i do think sometimes they allow for that and i wonder that is likely due to a casting scenario. How can we cast or or hire these SPs to be believable in that type of a sense? 
So I think it's helpful for everybody, I think, when they do that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, they got to make sure that they have enough people to fill all the spots. That's part of the reason that we're playing all these different ages over sometimes eight decades. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of fun. I mean, it really is. It it keeps us on our toes. And also thinking about like the essence of yeah, that older person, perhaps that you were mentioning earlier, like you don't know me, you know, you don't know where I'm coming from. I know more about X, Y, and Z or different conditions that they're dealing with. Have you ever had any like particularly funny experiences on one end or the other when you've not been playing your type or age? Oh, goodness. I mean, I've had a lot of funny moments as playing kids. Uh, Sometimes I like to play the overly polite child. They'll ask me, you know, um, could could we talk about what happened at your grandmother's house this weekend? And I might just say, no, thank you. And then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Shut it all down. Um, uh, or sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes I might play more of like a problem child. You know, they're asking me these questions and I might be playing with the toy and I break it. And then I throw it across the room and say, do you have any toys that aren't broken? And then they have to deal with that. <laughs> um, I remember this one time I was doing this interview and when we do these social worker scenarios, it's it's good to, as part of your backstory, come up with some hobbies or interests that you have because they want to ask you about those so that they can get to know you. So I usually think of a favorite TV show, maybe a favorite book, favorite sport. I don't really know sports, so I have to really research that. Um, or a, a favorite video game, which I do know about, so I don't have to research that. There was this one interview uh, where I was being asked about my interests. And so I went on and on about how my brother and I are playing Pokemon Brilliant Diamond. And my favorite Pokemon is Chimchar. And it's a fire monkey. And I was going on and on and on. And he just kind of deflected the conversation and went elsewhere. I guess he was uncomfortable. And so during the feedback, then I I brought that up to him. And I said, I felt a little dismissed and unheard when you changed the subject and your eyes glazed over when I was talking about Pokemon, perhaps if you had asked me more about Chimchar or said that you like monkeys too, I might (laughs) feel more connected to you. And it just cracked me up that I got to tell this grown man that he wasn't paying attention to me while I was talking about Pokemon and I got paid to do that. It just cracks me up. The absurdity. (laughs) It's a weird job. I mean, it's the best job, too. It is both weird and the best. Yes, I agree. And and absurd (laughs) in the best way possible. Because it's true. It's like sometimes you're like, I'm getting paid to do this thing. And what? I just said this thing. And this is I'm I'm doing this thing. I'm interacting in this weird way. And it's all important. But it's all (laughs) bizarre. Oh, that's so good. It's constantly, I feel like there's once a week, I have a moment of, oh my gosh, we're getting paid to do this. This is my job. It's it's just bizarre. It is. Yeah, that's amazing. But also like chimchar and monkeys, right? That that was a great learning opportunity too. For So within the absurdity, there was this, this educational moment that hopefully that person was able to take with them and use in the future. Likely if they're going into that type of a role. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was absurd, but but that that feedback came from a real place because I think as as humans, we all want to be heard and seen and understood. And I think children, especially a lot of adults don't really listen to them. And so if a child gets an adult's attention and are able to talk about something that they love that maybe the adult doesn't even know about, that can be a real opportunity for connection that's really special. And you know, a lot of adults just uh, say, okay, that's nice and move on. They brush, they brush them off. It's funny. I was thinking about different times when I've played younger, older characters. And one of my favorite moments was years ago, I played, I think it was like a 14 year old and I was coming in to an encounter to a doctor, quote unquote, to get birth control uh, Mm -hmm. because I was you know, maybe, maybe gonna start getting sexually active, you know, I had a boyfriend, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And lo and behold, uh, Katie Culligan, me, the actor was married and was wearing a wedding ring. Oh, no. And most of the time, I do not take off my wedding ring. I, I kind of thought about it early on. And then most of the time, it just doesn't matter. However, this time, it definitely mattered. Because I'm <laughs> right. sitting there and I hear giggling happening like through the window, through that like uh, mirrored window. And then afterwards, they come in for feedback and they're like, wow, you're a really mature 14 year old. You're married. <laughs> you have a wedding <laughs> ring. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, that was That's on me. That was a I, I was so afraid of taking it off that I might forget to bring it. Like, that's a big concern when you take it off. You like you just don't want to lose it. And it's easy to lose. So I err on the side of almost never taking it off unless I am very specific. But after that, I decided to take it off for any future encounters like that. And also for some other ones going forward, just to be extra careful. So if I could leave it at home, I would. Or if I forgot, I would like be very conscious of putting this in you know, my sunglasses case. And I don't want to cause any sort of giggling any sort of humor when it is a really important topic so um yeah learn the hard way but i do have to say the ring has come in handy at other times like during an examination when i'm trying to remember if the student you know during one of those long days did the student ask if i take heartburn medication so if i that would be my one question that if they did ask it i'd turn my ring so like the oh. yeah, so the band would be up. So it's come in handy in other ways too. However, for this type of a one, it was it was definitely a deterrent and distraction. So <laughs> yeah, we learn human error, and and I mean that's that's kind of the whole point of this, right? Is that the it's a safe place for these students or social workers or whoever to make human errors um, so that later they hopefully won't as much. And so I find that generally people are understanding when we have our human errors too. Right. In fact, I bet they kind of like it (laughs) because it almost breaks the ice. I I do know that there have been some med students that I've talked to after the fact that say, oh God, SPs are so scary. Like we, I've heard that too. Yeah. And, and it's because they're, they're getting tested and, you know, there's just so many things that maybe they think that we're trying to, to get them, um, when in doubt, you know, of course we're not trying to get them. We, we are just doing what we're told to do and we want them to succeed as much as they want to succeed. Always. I imagine when we break, you know, or, or something goes wrong that they're like, ha ha, <laughs> they're just like us. SPs, <laughs> they're just like us. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you know we're we're playing these these characters, and yeah, when they see those little little cracks, yeah, that they they see the the real humanity, I guess, coming yeah. through too. I do also kind of struggle now. This is not even something that's like has to be widely different from the age, but whenever we do have to have different birthdays. Uh, oh my years. gosh. Or we have an age, for instance, it could be any age. It could be an age that's one year different, maybe from yours or a year and a half. And they'll say, what is your birthday? And then it's like, oh God, I said I was 36 and now, oh no, <laughs> like just doing the math is just the worst. And of course we should know our birthdays, right? All, all people know typically their birthdays. <laughs> so that can get you. I know it's gotten oh, me. It gets me every single time i swear you know we're supposed to like you said have it at the ready we would know our birthdays but yeah we i don't know it and so i'm doing that math and that is the hardest question that they can possibly ask us because it's the one thing i won't remember i'll say too the other <laughs> this is a little bit of a tangent but i guess the first time i ever did an sp encounter ever. I stayed up all night the night before. I took it very seriously. I very carefully learned every single detail of the case. And then I went into the room and they asked me what my name was and I drew a blank. I knew everything about the character except the name. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Oh, you know, I, I I think I I think I peeked at the chart and got a little reminder, and so I was able to to say what my name was then. Yeah, it was so funny. That was a uh, first day. Okay, I'm gonna I learned that lesson going forward. Yeah, when in doubt, know your name or know your last name because if if you know a different first name, they could be like, well, it says here that you're you're Peter. You could be like, oh, but I go by Paul. <laughs> Exactly. That's what I told you. Like, you know, <laughs> everyone calls me something else. But so we've talked a lot about age. I'm just curious, like when it comes to just not playing your type, maybe it's the same age, maybe it's a 30 year old, for instance. What is the most against your type that you've played, if you can remember? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, you said it earlier. I as a, as an actor, it's funny. I had a director once say that he found actors most easily were able to experience anger on stage. But for me, it's the opposite. Almost any other emotion, that's, I can get to that, that's easy, but I struggle with anger sometimes. And so whenever I have to play a really angry patient, that's a little bit of a challenge for me sometimes. Is there ways that you've just been able to push through it? Is it just like, hey, this is what I gotta do? Or do you, do you come out of that feeling like not like yourself? Usually what I try to do um, is I'm a believer that a lot of times if we're angry, it, it can be rooted in fear. And so I try to ask myself, what's the fear here? And I really hone in on that and latch onto that. And then I, yeah, I kind of set myself up to kind of be triggered almost by what's happening and get afraid. And that comes out as anger. So that's usually how I try to do it. You know, it's so interesting you mentioned that. What a solid piece of acting advice, just generally, like thinking about the root cause of the anger, especially for anyone that struggles like getting angry um, in certain scenarios, in fabricated scenarios. <laughs> With your new program, the clinical psychology that you're working on, do you find that that is 
typically the case that anger is rooted in fear? I think sometimes anger can be rooted in fear. I think also sometimes anger can also be a way of protecting ourselves and valuing ourselves and kind of acknowledging, you know, I, I deserve better than this because sometimes we're in situations where we're being taken advantage of or, or we're perceived as uh, we're being taken advantage of. And so sometimes it comes out of that too. And so, yeah, I guess that's a whole (laughs) rabbit hole of, you know, what are we owed? But I think, uh, yeah, it, it can be related to standing up for ourselves, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so just to then ask you the kind of opposite question of what's the wildest character that's against type, what's a character that you've played that's against type that you actually really enjoy playing? Oh, there are so many. There's, uh, <laughs> there was this one character that I got to play. This one character was experiencing paranoid schizophrenia. And so I got to uh, play this character who, who was having a, a little bit of a meltdown. And that can be maybe scary for the, the, the students but at the end of the day, this is this is someone who they're not really a danger to anyone except potentially themselves. And so the students have to kind of de-escalate the situation. And it's funny, I remember getting that role, uh, that case, as I was in my diagnosis course. So I was like, oh, I was just reading about this last week. Um, and it was fun to kind of bring that into the room. Perfect timing. You couldn't ask for if you're studying it and all of a sudden you have to play it. That's so perfect. Here it is. Yep. <laughs> is there any character and that you can think of that you have not played? Something that you wish you could do as a standardized patient that you haven't had the opportunity to yet? You know, I I didn't say this earlier. I'm actually a, a big fan of the pod. I've listened to every episode. So it's we such a joy it. to be here. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, now I'm part of it. That's so exciting. I heard you and Cliff talk about end of life uh, scenarios, especially the ones that take place over time with, you know, I guess like time jumps. And that's something I would love to do. I guess demographically, I don't usually check the boxes for that case. But that would be, of course, really hard and and challenging and maybe even heart wrenching. But I I would really love to do that. That would be really satisfying, I think. How do you feel about doing it? It is satisfying. And it's very overwhelming and definitely exhausting. But I'm grateful I've had the opportunity to do them many times at this point to just kind of understand not only what it feels like to be an SP doing that and really taking on that type of a character and that journey, that emotional art, but also to see how it affects the students and how truly, truly helpful that type of a case is. In the same way that playing somebody that's four years old or playing someone that's 90 years old is a willing suspension of disbelief, so is this when we're doing Breaking Bad News or Living with Dying type case and end of life case where there's timeouts, you know, there will be, yeah. we'll be in the middle of something and sometimes people will time out and going to that neutral place, even though you were just crying or just <laughs> right. yelling, perhaps, uh, whatever that was. So I do think there's a really interesting skill set that even in a normal standardized patient encounter doesn't come up typically. 
Yeah, I think, you know, some of these skills you don't really have in a lot of other jobs, but but they're they're necessary. And I think that that ability to to like give a true pause, I think it's something you can only learn by doing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now that you've kind of transitioned into, you know, you're still doing a little SP work, but you're also moving on to another part of your career in which I wish you all the best. I'm sure you'll be amazing at it. But what would you say, is there anything that you can take with you in particular from your standardized patient experience work that can make you a better therapist in the future? Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> right now, and I also just want to add, it's so nice to to be here talking about this as well, because as I'm making this career change, I'm, I guess, maybe nearing the end of my standardized patient time. And so this is like a full circle reflection kind of moment for me. Right now, I'm starting to see clients and interact with them. And I'm I'm already bringing so much from my SP work, because I have so much empathy for the, the students who sometimes are kind of finding their way in the moment because they're juggling the clinical with that social, emotional communication that, that we're having with them. It can be hard to, to juggle all of that. And it's, it's a skill that takes practice. And so sometimes some of the little flubs that I've seen over the years, you know, I have some of them every so often, you know, maybe maybe a pause that goes on just a little bit too long or or <laughs> something like pause, that. Perhaps. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a pinter pause. All right. <laughs> if I have a pinter pause or, or something like that, you know, I can remind myself that it's a skill that takes time to cultivate. And I've seen students over the years learn how to do that. And so I can be more compassionate towards myself and accept that, you know, I'm learning and growing, we're all learning and growing. And so this is just part of the process. And I've now been on both sides of it. Yeah. And that practice is progress rather than, yes. you know, makes it perfect. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it is really cool that as you transition again into this new career, that you're taking this time to be able to reflect and reflect with us before it becomes even farther away, which you always have, of course, special memories and experiences. But thank you for having that perspective, too, and bringing that to us and, and sharing all of your stories and experience with us today. So, Andrew, you rock. Yeah, thank you. You rock, Katie. It has been such a treat to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We wish you the best of luck in your new career. I know you're going to do great and taking all this great wisdom from your SP experience. And uh, don't be too much of a stranger to, to the SP world. Uh, but oh, we'll, I could never. We'll keeping, <laughs> you can, you'll, find, you'll find a way to say hi, at least on occasion. <laughs> Thank you again to Andrew Fleur. We really appreciate you. Everybody else, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at the Standardized Patients Podcast. Thanks, as always, to Randy Sharp for the use of our theme song, Mr. Garita. You can find their music at Artlist. Thank you as well so much to Catherine Bubalak for the behind-the-scenes work audio post-production, and our cover art. That is our show. See you next time as we encounter more standards of standardized patient work. <laughs> <laughs>